Today we're going to be in the, the epistle, 1 John, chapter 3. And John is writing to the, uh, the early churches. He doesn't specify a single church. But in light of this revelation and the seven churches uh, that he refers to in the book of Revelation... There in Ephesus, it's uh, most likely that he, this is to all of them. And so, it's to us today. This isn't just the early churches. Of course, the entire scripture is for us today. It was for them all the way through the beginning of creation, relevant to life at that time, and the scripture is relevant to today. It will always be. It's a living and active word of God. So it's timeless. And so is John's message to us. Of course, every book in, in the Bible is inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit. And so these are God's words to us. Let's open, stand with me if you would, and open to uh, the first epistle of John, chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the fact that we could be called your children, <laughs> we were so disobedient, but Lord, you loved us. The love that you bestowed upon us, we'll be reading this morning, Lord, through your apostle John you wrote these words and Father we pray that you open our hearts you open our minds to receive the word that, that you have for us and Lord each one of us you speak to us in different ways and Lord just personally speak to everyone this morning and reveal the truth that you have for them bless this time may your spirit speak directly through me Lord and your will be done in Jesus' name. So, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. God's love, we, we know about God's love, because of the, what we know in Scripture. There are many, many verses about God's love. The title of my message this morning, though, is No Ordinary Love. This is not earthly love. And John, John is reminding us of this love. He encourages us by putting the focus first on God, and then, of course, we see it's on us. So, this is God's love, coming from him, directed to us. This love is so amazing when you look at Scripture and you dig into it and you consider God's Word. Jesus gave us an example by recognizing uh, the Father in, in his prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
So John is using a similar example that he learned, of course, through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. But first, we should always focus on God. His holiness. This helps us to concentrate on that and wipe out all the distractions in our life or all the petty little things that we go through. When we come to the Lord to acknowledge who He is, His sovereignty, His holiness, that should really take our focus, place it directly on Him. And this love comes from the Father. It's directed to us. It's not an earthly love. It's a holy love. When we rest into this truth, it should give us hope and give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. His love has life-changing actions, and we are the recipients of His love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We have abundant life, And we have eternal life. Think about how extraordinary God's love is. (laughs) He loved us when we were enemies. We're enemies of God. Hostile to Him. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to, to God. For it does not submit to God's law indeed. It cannot. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. God's love is directed toward his enemies. And we were all enemies. We all start out as enemies. If you're an enemy of God, you wouldn't think that he would show any kindness toward us. In our human capacity, in our minds, it just doesn't connect, right? Why would a God love his enemies? I mean, look how we are as people. We don't show kindness to our enemies. Maybe, um, and you certainly wouldn't die for your enemies. I mean, maybe a, a parent would die for a child. Or maybe, you, you may not die for your neighbor, but maybe in some cases. But would you die for your enemies? I don't think most of us would. I'll give you an example about a man who possibly murders a family member, maybe a child. And that man goes to court. He's found guilty and he gets the death penalty. And then you, the parent of that child, going through this process in the courtroom after the sentence has been delivered, you raise your hand and you say, Your Honor, Can you pardon this man? I'll die in his place. Would you be willing to do that? I bet not. That's exactly what God did for us. We are that guilty person. We should receive the death penalty for all eternity. But that's not what God does, He's merciful. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up together and he made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise God. This is no ordinary love. Another example. Jesus is praying uh, for the believers. And in his prayer, I thought this was really neat. Jesus, when he's praying for all believers, he reveals and he says to the Father, And I have declared them your name. And will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. I don't know that I really ever thought about the love that the Father had for his son Jesus. That same love, he loves us. That is extraordinary. I can't hardly comprehend that. I don't know if any of us will really recognize that depth of love. And it may take eternity for us to understand it more and more. But it's amazing. It's a holy love, a perfect love. We can hardly comprehend how great a love God has for us. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us And he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God loves us and we are his children. The fathers bestowed that love on us that we should be called children of God. We're his children. Okay, that's even greater than just love. He's brought us into the family. We're his child. So, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. We are children at the moment we receive Christ in our hearts. This love isn't just God the Father. But it's the Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. From the Father, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. And from the Son, for for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all in one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus called us brothers. He also called us friends. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of the King. Now I don't know if anyone has ever thought this in their mind at, at any time in their life. But, you know, I know there are times I thought, oh, if I was only part of that family, 
my, my life would be so different. <laughs> Think if you were a, a son or daughter uh, of the king in England, the royal family. Your life would be so different. You would have people waiting on you. You would have the best of all things. You would, you, you would be the heir, the, the royal children. That in and of itself, just even thinking that concept is, can't imagine it. With that comes responsibilities, right? The royal families, they all have responsibilities. They're ambassadors of the king. Well, even greater. We're not just the king or a son's children of a king here temporarily on earth. We are a child of the king of kings. God's eternal and so is our relationship with him. The king of kings and the lord of lords, the creator of the heaven and the earth. When you rest in this truth, you recognize to the best of our ability how extraordinary that love is. It's miraculous love and this changed the course of this world. Only God can do that. When that happens, we should obviously be thankful, but that should be always what we draw back to. We should always run to God and recognize that we are His children. And John writes this because he wants to encourage the early church. There was a lot going on in those days, and there was a lot of apostasy, there were a lot of false religions. And, and, and so John's writing this because of that, that fact. Well, today's no different. Maybe even worse, maybe not. I mean, really, some of the similarities, you know, you just look at it and you just think, wow, that, that sounds like today. But this was infiltrating the church. And that's why John's writing to the churches. He wanted the, the believers to recognize, you need to stop. John writes, as we continue to read, he's very black and white. You either are a child of the king or you are not. And the alternative is, you're a child of the devil. And so... John says this, he writes this because he wants us to remember that as the, the fellow believers are living out their lives and not to be dissuaded to the right or to the left. So, moving on, therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Well, don't be surprised if the world doesn't like you. It doesn't happen all the time. We're very blessed in this country that we have a lot of freedoms. But we're seeing some of those changing before us. And there's a lot more hostility than used to be. People don't like the presence of God. They wish to remove that. Well, why? Well, we're believers. And... We know God's love for us. We've experienced it. God has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. So we are sealed. We are his children. But even when we sin, depending, I'm sure, in your walk with the Lord, there's been times you, you kind of walk away. And 
you're embarrassed or you don't want to come back to the Lord because we think we're hiding it. Well, if I don't come back to the Lord, then he won't know. (laughs) Well, of course, we're wrong. And the sooner we come back, the better. But that being Christians, believers in the Lord, we feel that way at times. How much the world that doesn't even know him? Of course, they don't want to be convicted. They don't want that confrontation in their lives. And so they shun it. And they've, they've done their best to eliminate God uh, in the recent, I don't know, I'd say just look what's happened in the 20 years. Remove God from schools, from prayer. Kill as many unborn babies as possible. We're to the point, it's so bad, Let's do everything possible to confuse our children and preach nonsense. Now, of course, not us, but that's what the world is doing today. I pity having to grow up today. But if we focus on God, his love for us, and that we are his children as followers of Christ, we have nothing to worry about because God is in complete control. The world wants to remove God from society And if you represent God, the world's going to hate you. Expect it. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. When are we children of God? The moment we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are a new creation at that very moment. The angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner comes to know Jesus. So it is immediate. And your eternity starts then. It doesn't wait until we die or until the rapture happens. It begins then. You are on your path of sanctification. And we're walking with the Lord and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Then we were her alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. These verses are talking about us being children now. But also, what shall we be? We don't know exactly. We know we're going to see Jesus in all his glory. And we're going to be like him. We aren't going to be equal to him. But we're going to be like him. And even our walk here. As we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The process of life living with the Lord and sanctification, we are or should be coming more and more like Jesus. And so when he appears, we're going to be even more like him. This is the great hope that we have. This is talking about what we call the rapture. And here at Calvary, uh, I, we believe in pre-trib rapture. We believe that God is coming to take the church out before the tribulation unfolds. And so this Lord coming for us is before the tribulation. And so if we're alive during that time, 
We're going to be raised up in a blink of an eye. We'll be with the Lord. That is the moment that I actually hope that I'm here for. I think it'll be neat. (laughs) But, you know, blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So if that happens first, I'm not going to argue about it. But it would be kind of neat, you know. I don't know if we'll get to heaven and we're going to say, man, was that really a cool tenth of a millisecond? (laughs) Or maybe we'll know, wow, this is what happened through the the whole time. I don't know. I just think that's... uh, Praise God. I, I just think that's going to be a great, great uh, time uh, in, in our lives, of course, and in the history of the world. It's going to be uh, amazing. Moving on to verse 4. Getting to some tests. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Wow, I think a lot of churches avoid this portion of Scripture. (laughs) Whoever commits sin, commits lawlessness. John, earlier in in chapter (laughs) 2, says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. But here, (laughs) he's telling us, if we commit sin... We're of the devil. He who sins is of the devil. That's confusing, isn't it? How do we reconcile that? Well, we have to understand in the English language, we don't have the words that the Greek have in the Greek language. And so it's not as clear. Sin, the word is sin. But in the Greek language, there are different words. One is hamarteia. This is a noun here, and it's the tense, the the accusative tense. The other is hamartano, which is a verb, and it's in the present tense. They're different. Um, I'm going to read something from, from a little Greek translation by Kenneth Wiest, just to kind of give you a little more clarity on on how he writes this. Everyone who habitually commits sin also habitually commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know absolutely that the one who was manifested in order that he might take away our sins and sin in him does not exist. Everyone who in him is constantly abiding is not habitually sinning. Everyone who is constantly sinning has not with discernment seen him, nor has known him. So, the word here is habitual. It's a continuous sin. It's living in a state of sinning. That is not possible 
if you're a true believer of Christ. Also, you'd notice the words commit and later, uh, so whoever commits sin, and later uh, we see the word practice. And those words are the same words in the Greek. So what John is talking about here is practicing continual sin. So, I'm going to give you a little story about something you do by habit. This isn't a sin, but a little something that uh, I, I find myself sometimes challenged with, and I might have shared it with you guys in the past. Uh, there are times at night when there's something in another room that I need to go and get. And I have a bad habit that because I know my house and where things are normally placed, I don't turn the lights on. And so I will walk in the dark. Well, just yesterday, um, Darlene and I are, are packing up some boxes and things that we want to ship to, to Michigan. And so we pack up seven boxes, and they're, they're about that big. And so I place these boxes, I stack them uh, in the hallway leading out to the garage. And so, of course, there's a, there's a path on the right side. You can easily get by the boxes and walk, and the boxes are along the left side of the wall. So, what do I do? Had this habitual challenge that I know my house, therefore I don't need to turn the lights on. So I'm thinking, oh, I need to go to the garage. I proceed to walk down that hallway. Halfway down, bam! I forgot I put the boxes there. See, my mind knows the hallway, but it forgot the boxes were an impediment. A stumbling block, if you will. This is how habitual it is. I say to myself, i got to stop doing this. So I turn the light on. I go in the garage. I get what I need. I walk back in the house. I turn the light off. Less than an hour later, <laughs> I have to go to the laundry room, which happens to be at the same end of that hallway. The same process occurs. Halfway down that hallway, Bam! And I'm just thinking, it's like, God, this is, I have to share this. I think you told, you wanted me to share this with people. If we walk in darkness, we will stumble. And sometimes it's a habitual thing. Well, God will help us walk and eliminate sin in our life. If we practice it, then we have to question, are we really God's child? Have we come to that point where we've repented and we've received Christ in our hearts? Sin is incompatible with the law of God. Sin is incompatible with the work of Christ. Sin is incompatible with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're living and practicing sin and you have no conviction, you should know you're not a child of God. On the other hand, if you are convicted of your sin, confess it to God. You're His child. You should be convicted. The Holy Spirit should do that in your life. And we want that to happen. 
We shouldn't avoid these, this text. To understand it helps us to grow in the knowledge of Christ and what the Lord has for us. This is a great test that we're a true child of God. I think what's a blessing about this is that it's a confirmation. I live a life and I know that I have convictions in my life. Yes, sometimes I don't pay enough attention to them, but God eventually gets to me. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. God wants to restore us and to cleanse us because He wants to have fellowship with us. I think this is one of the separators, if you will, from Christianity to all the other faiths in the world. God seeks us and wants fellowship with us. He's provided everything necessary to create a right relationship with Him. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin, and that's why John writes back in in chapter 2, but if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Because he knows we're going to do that. And so that clarifies this scripture. John knows we're going to sin. He's just writing, listen, if you are walking in a life of habitual sin, then you are, are, are a child of the devil. Moving on to... And you, and you can't be born of God. Verse, verse 10. In this... the. Children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. Whosoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was a wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did, the mur- why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteousness. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has life abiding in him. Really another confirmation, but also something that should be evident in your life as as a believer. This is a message that Jesus introduced, loving your brother. And so John says, you know, we knew this from the beginning when Jesus revealed it to us, but we should love one another. This isn't the kind of love that uh, is earthly love. This is a koinonia. And this is love amongst the followers of Christ, the believers. This isn't love for the world. It's a love for the church, those who know Christ. We should have love for fellow believers. We're stuck with each other. We might as well start getting along now and loving each other now because we're going to be with each other for all eternity. So, to the degree that we've worked on it, let's continue and even more so. Consider those um, just in our congregation. We should look to support each other 
in prayer, sometimes financially. Whatever need it might be, we should take on each other's burdens and grow together in a fellowship, love each other. It is a small glimpse of heaven. It's God's love for us that allows us to love each other. He's forgiven us everything. How can we not forgive others? And even more so, because of the bond, we are one in Christ. I've heard stories from missionaries that travel all over the world. And there are times when they go into places where they do not know the language at all. And they have interpreters. But the stories are are just so wonderful because they are received with so much love. There's a unity and they recognize it when they're with each other. There's a unity and a koinonia because we all have Christ. There's oneness in Jesus. That is not an earthly love. That's heavenly. And it's a wonderful place to be. I'm sure you guys have experienced it. And it's just a blessing. It just fills your heart with joy. It should be difficult to see our brother suffer. We should be convicted if we see that happening. This scripture uh, is talking here as well about as we read on. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's a great question. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If we see a fellow brother or sister suffering, and it doesn't compel us to help, then we really have to evaluate our position. What is God telling you to do when that happens? What's the Holy Spirit encouraging you to do? We don't experience a lot of that here. We do have a benevolence fund. We do help people when that happens. If we have to do it financially, we come aside them and we help them. If they need prayer, many things go on in each other's lives. We tend to have maybe our private lives and we don't, a lot of us have a hard time kind of reaching outside that sphere, right? We come here, we participate, we have fellowship, but then we go home. God wants us to have that koinonia though. So I encourage every one of you, continue to love each other, continue to reach out and encourage each other, pray for each other. It's a blessing that we even have these opportunities.
I'm going to point out. This is talking about love for the the people of God, the children of God. We all go out and drive around and we, we encounter the signs on the side of the road. Work for food, help, those kinds of things. I have made an effort in my life to first intentionally investigate so that I wasn't just throwing my money away. I want to give to the kingdom of God to to help the kingdom grow. So multiple times throughout my life, I have waited around and watched these people and followed them to where where they would walk to. And you wouldn't believe it, crazy things. I mean, at, at times I literally saw a gentleman walk behind the gas station, get into his Cadillac vehicle, and drive on his way. So by his fruits, I recognized, okay, this is a tax-free job that he's probably doing really well at. Another time, I reached out. I gave a gentleman some money with contact information. I said, here's my information. You call me, I will put you to work. You say we'll work for food. I have a job for you. I drove past that gentleman for probably six years. After he didn't respond to my invitation, maybe being a little smart okay, I would roll down my window and said, how's business this morning? Don't be fooled, okay? Um, This is talking about helping and supporting fellow believers. Not that we shouldn't help the hungry, but be diligent in it. Uh, One of of my favorite preachers of all is uh, J. Vernon McGee. He was sharing a story when he got to Los Angeles, how he was helping all these homeless people. And there's this one guy that came to him and would ask for help, and he he certainly helped him. Uh, And then later he found out... um, that that guy was spreading news about, yeah, oh, he got arrested. And he told the police, yeah, well, I really took advantage of the preachers in town because they all felt really bad for me. And uh, he went to a fellow preacher and he said, so do you know this guy? He goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't, don't, give, to, don't give to him. Uh, you have to be diligent uh, who you help and where you help. But this is referring to uh, the, the brethren. And so... Do not, let's see, where am I? Sorry, uh, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Here we see the two commandments. Love God and love the brethren. Love your neighbor as yourself. He repeats it. So John is writing to us to clarify how we should be living, how we should be walking, and just encouraging the believers. This is a work that God is doing. It's not in you. It's the Holy Spirit working through you. But don't follow. Don't be deceived. We should love the Lord because He loved us. And we are His children. God has given us everything we need to live an abundant and holy life. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells within you. Amen?